talk, talking crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder. I'm a retired NYPD detective, and I'm here with my co-host, retired captain of the NYPD, Ed Mamet. Ed, say hello. Hello, WABC listeners. I'm glad to be here again once more for a Cop Talk episode. So today we're very fortunate to have two guests, two very special guests. Uh, one is a personal friend of mine. Uh, we know each other about 20 years. Uh, he's a famous New York Ranger, number 10, Ron Duguay. Say hello, Ron. Yeah, hi, Kevin. Good to be with you. Both of you, good to be with you. And we also have very... Fortunate to have along with us uh, Sarah Palin, who was a candidate for vice president of the United States of America, former Alaska governor, and very pro law enforcement and very pro military. Uh, and hopefully, she'll be uh, at some capacity will possibly run in uh, in the next twenty twenty four at some at some point. So, uh, welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. It's an honor, you guys. I really respect what you do, and I have to add, you're a lot of fun also. Being able to um, be with you at a couple of events, and I saw that side of you, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you both for being here. I know you're very, very busy, especially uh, with all the um, events that are going to be coming up. So, Ron, um, you know, besides you being a a famous hockey player, um, the reason why we have you on Cop Talk is because of all the great things that you do for police officers throughout the country, especially with NYPD. Um, I know you've been very involved in um, uh, helping us fundraise for the, the tech, uh, NYPD uh, widows and children, as well as uh, the Stevie Van Zandt's um, uh, Policeman's Ball, annual Policeman's Ball, where we raise funds for police officers with children with um, special needs. Um, but before we get into that, why don't you tell our audience uh, who may not be Ranger fans, because we're global here, uh, a little bit about uh, your background. Well, thank you, Kevin. Yeah, so I'm Canadian, as uh, as you well know. I uh, came from a small town near Sudbury, Ontario. Got drafted by the New York Rangers, and my career started in 1977 as a New York Ranger. I was a first-round pick, and I had the opportunity to be a starter. So in 1977, there was a New York City playing Madison Square Garden and wearing the Ranger jersey, and I got to wear and the number that I really most prefer, that is number 10. And so I was a New York Ranger for eight years, played in the NHL for 12 years, and to that time, especially my time in New York, I experienced a whole lot of stuff. And uh, it's kind of um, made me who I am today. I've had some um, great teammates, good role models. Um, a few of them, you know, Roger Bear, who's passed away, Nick Fletillo, Phil Esposito. And um, I, um, I have a great appreciation for police officers, military, and, of course, uh, New York people. Although they're different, they can be tough, but, boy, they're passionate people. And so I've, uh, I've, I appreciate all of that, and that's why you continue to see me in New York City, because I still live the life of a kind of a New Yorker, although I'm Canadian. Um, I just enjoy everyone there, and you and I, we've gotten to know each other. And, and uh, because of my role models that I just mentioned— they taught me 
to understand that it's not just about you, that you've been given a lot. You have to find a way to give back. And so I find ways to give back. And Roger Bear was a great role model for me. And that's where I think eventually Kevin and I, you and I met. And so I love sharing and helping and making a difference, raising funds, whatever it might be. Yes. Hey, Ron, is that where your, uh, your drive to be the best came from? Um, well, I, you know, it goes back to your roots, right? Your, your family, your friends, your, your parents. Um, and I think my dad was, uh, my mom was very quiet. She's still alive. My dad passed away, but, uh, my dad was a very kind of, um, a serious man when it came to being the best that you can be. I mean, he was, a he helped me because he was a bodybuilder, weightlifter. And so as an athlete, he was able to help me understand that, uh, and anything you do, preparation and mindset is really important because there's so many people, no matter what you're doing, there's others competing for that same job. And so being prepared, working hard, um, um, having some fire in your belly that, you know, that that gets you to want to win and be good. And so I think my dad was a good role model that way. But also, once I got to New York, I had guys like Phil Esposito, Roger Bear, Hall of Famers. And you get to see them on a daily basis on on how they perform and how they prepare. Of course, we all like to have fun, and that's okay. That's the balance. But um, it's it's a daily mindset. Yeah. Yes. And Ron, how we met uh, exactly? It was Roger Bear, um, may he rest in peace, and also Nick Fatio. Uh, when we met twenty years ago, it was the three of us. Uh, we met, I believe, at Bryant Park, and. Um, Next thing I know, we all became good friends, and you guys were doing some great, great uh, fundraising for the NYPD, which is we really always appreciate that. Thank you. And yeah, well, Kevin, you're you're easy to be a good friend with because you're a very likable guy. I know I've I've not seen the <laughs> police you. officer side out of you, but I'm sure that when you have to, you uh, you are that guy. So, but you're you're a very likable guy, and that's what I like. I appreciate being around you. Yes, 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 and and by the way, of course, Sarah's on our show. So how did you how did you folks meet? Um, Sarah, do you want to answer that or should I? <laughs> no, because we have two different versions. You go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll I'll take the lead on this because I actually took the lead in us meeting. Um, you know, social media nowadays it's easy to uh, to say hi and reach out, and that's kind of how it started. I just reached out and said hi and. I got a response back, and we talked for a while, and then eventually we thought we'd like to meet, and we end up meeting at a, an event that Sarah was doing in Arizona, and uh, I think that's almost a year and a half ago, and um, and so it was, you know, it. Uh, I don't know if Sarah would add any more than that, but that's kind of how it went. Okay. Well, yeah, and well. It, we ended up meeting each other in person, though, at a hockey game, which I thought was so appropriate. Um, and, uh, you know, one of my criteria was uh, before I met anybody, wanted to talk to anybody, uh, I knew that they, they had to have a competitive bone in their body. They had to be athletic. And holy moly, I found the most athletic guy in, in America. And um, it's uh, as, as Ron's speaking to you as a guest, I could just sit here and listen to him all day long because he has the cool stories about New York City and even a lot of encounters with the with the police officers there. So um, 
one of those one of these days you guys you should have him on as a guest solely just so he can share some of those stories from especially from back in the day there were some oh. wild times but healthy and good too absolutely sarah where did you get the fire in your belly i mean you're you're, you're fantastic oh. i mean you know it's like you get up in the morning and you have all this energy and you do great work and god's work and and just where does it come from <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. And, uh, well, here I am in Wasilla, Alaska, which is, oh, golly, it's nearly 5,000 miles away from uh, from the East Coast. And uh, growing up here in Alaska, you know, it's not ideal conditions. It, it's There's some tough conditions. Ron knows that, too. He's been up here where we've had, you know, these storms through winter that take you off the grid for days at a time. He was cooking over a fireplace and trying to watch his New York Rangers games on a little tiny cell phone because we had no power. Um, so, you know, the conditions aren't real easy. So just in, inherently you have within you in order to um, survive and thrive up here, uh, you have to have a toughness and an independence within you. Um, you, you know, you have to be pretty self-reliant. And um, my dad, my parents moved up here uh, to teach school and to coach. And um, I've lived here all my life. Part of that coaching that uh, my parents did really instilled in me, too, a love of healthy competition and of self-determination and self-discipline and and drive. Um, Sports had a lot to do with uh, who I am today. And, um, yeah, so a combination of uh, that Alaskan lifestyle and um, competitiveness within me has um, that's contributed to a, a, a sense of well of determination, de- determined to just be out there um, trying to do my best and to empower other people to do their best. Ultimately, it means helping one another through challenges. And gosh, look what's going on in our country today—overwhelming uh, challenges. So we all need to be pulling our weight and helping each other. And um, Gosh, getting through some of this stuff because these are some bizarre times. Yes, hey, Ron. <clears throat> Ron, how did you um, get involved with uh, supporting law enforcement in the way you do? Well, it was it was Kevin, and it was easy for me because of the respect that I have for police and the military. I grew up with that, um, and I grew up with a healthy respect and also a fear for the police officers as we should, as we should behave. And, um, and so, and my, you know, I, you know, I, as examples, I had my parents, my dad, and I saw how he behaved. And, and so I know how tough your jobs are. I mean, I don't know if I can do it. I mean, I, I can go on the ice and dodge pucks and sticks and, and, you know, we kind of, when I played, it was kind of, uh, we were like gladiators on night, but I don't know if I can do the job police officer. So that's part of why I really respect it because it's tough. And with what all of what you deal with. And so I had this respect and I wanted to help and I continue want to help. That's great. And it's tougher than ever. Yeah. Yes. And we're, you know, we're paying attention. That is something that Sarah and I, we talk about, we see it. We go to New York city. We go various, we go to different cities and, um, it, it just seems like, like I mentioned to before, having a fear in the police officers, 
Well, I don't know if people really have fear of police officers anymore because their hands are tied. It what appears is that their hands are tied. They have to be so careful of this and that. And all the bad guys take take advantage of that, right? And it's it's really kind of sad to see, especially when you're seeing things, clips on TV, where you have these bad guys and police officers' face almost spitting. They're that close. And, and the police officers can't really do anything. How about it's having water huge. dumped on their heads? A few years ago, if you ever saw that, two female police officers had water dumped on them, and they just walked yeah. away. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure if they really can't do anything or if this is a new generation of police officers who are not willing to really kind of step mm-hmm. out and, you know, kind of take charge. Um, because I know back in our day, no way would we even come closer, talk back to a police officer. I wouldn't even talk back to a police officer because you knew that it was just the wrong thing to do. And uh, so now it's completely different. I, and I guess you guys can answer to that question. Is it the new generation of police officers or is it their hands are tied? Well, that leads me to another question. What would you say to, to these younger uh, cops who have to deal with the hatred today from the defund involvement, cop abolitionist, anarchy, and the like. Well, what would your words be to them to encourage them to stay or come into police work? Well, let, let me put it this way. When we play hockey, we have rules. And you got to play by the rules. And if someone's a little bit off, uh, we by the rules, we go after them. But we got to play by the rules. So I'm not sure in my speaking to them, I would need to know what are the rules of engagement, right? And if there's, if they're, um, if, if they have the green light to step in and essentially grab a few and, you know, uh, take a stand and let everyone see you're taking a stand. Cause I've seen on television, other locations, other countries where the police officers have had enough and they just take people down the way they're, allowed to do it. And it just sends uh, a warning. Um, and, and, you know, everyone else pays attention. So I would play by the rules. If you could take your baton out and push someone back, or if you can take someone down, put them in handcuffs, take them to jail. If you're allowed to do that, I would do it because trust me, the bad guys will always, they're paying attention and they're going to take advantage if they think they can. It's the same thing on the ice. We play hockey and there's bullies on the ice. Well, until you step up to that bully and take them out, they're going to just keep doing it. And I guess it's kind of similar, a little bit similar to hockey. Although I'm dodging, we're dodging uh, pucks and sticks, not bullets. That's kind of a big difference. Mm, yes. You know, uh, Ron, let's uh, talk about some charitable, uh, charitable uh, activities that you're involved in, like the Rangers Youth Street Hockey Program. Uh, I know there's many activities you're involved in in regards to fundraising for um uh, youth hockey. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, well, there's that. And I think the probably the most important one is called Garden of Dreams. And that's uh, owner Jim Dolan's baby. Um, and that's where you're really going into communities and helping those in need. And I've done a lot of that in the past, going whether I'm going to Queens or the Bronx, just helping those that are maybe haven't had an opportunity to play hockey because hockey's gotten to be so expensive. But yes. just um, putting some light, some cheer in people's uh, faces and their eyes and you when you do it you really you you know you really uh, appreciate it but garden of dreams is uh they have various programs that they do to help those in need yes, yes. sarah um <clears throat> as former governor of the state of alaska uh the police were under you 
uh, as were other agencies. Uh, and I'm sure that that has had an influence upon Ron's thinking in, in public service and police work. Would I be correct that you influenced him? Well, he has always done this, though, and, and it's so admirable that he would put his celebrity status to such good use to help other people. I love that you all, and Ron's a part of it too, that you all help families with um, kids with special needs. Um, my youngest, he has Down syndrome, and I understand the challenge that uh, a parent, especially a single parent, has in, gosh, in, in dealing with and, um, uh, you know, try, trying to give this, this child the best life possible with the challenges that the, the child and the family collectively faces, but also, I mean, huge joy, huge blessing overall, um, recognizing that, you know, God has chosen us as, as parents, as families to um, be blessed with, uh, with a child with special needs. But back to the challenges, it, it's so, I have so much appreciation for you guys choosing um, organizations and forming an organization to help these families because I can see how some people would feel that they're alone in, in the challenge that, um, you know, unless, unless you've been there, unless you're walking it every day, I, once in a while, I think, man, people just don't understand that. Yeah. A huge blessing. Wouldn't trade my son and the situation that we're in for the world. He, he's, he's my life, you know, he's my world, but, um, other families that don't have, say, the support system that I do, because I have all my siblings, I have aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, a, a big extended family, and, and everybody helps with um, with my son, especially if I'm traveling or, or working, needing email, but other families don't have that. So thank you guys, and, and Ron, too, for having a heart for those who are, well, they're disadvantaged. They, um, you know, they're, they're the underdogs, and uh, you guys step up and, and help out these families. And gosh, just personally speaking, I can't tell you how much that's appreciated. You know, I, I don't know. You probably recall when you were running for uh, vice president, uh, there was some controversy that you had with the Alaska State Police Commissioner. Um, and your sister was somewhat involved. And what I did is I made a study of that case. And without getting too deeply involved, uh, I wrote a uh, an op-ed piece for one of the Alaska newspapers, and your sister Molly contacted me, and I I try to help her out. So I do have somewhat of a connection to your family, although indirectly. Um, but I'd like to um, ask you this: the Alaska is so different from many other police agencies around the country. I mean, it's like another world. Can you tell us your experience with managing the Alaska State Police and some of the problems they have? that are very different from, uh, from us. One of the things I know is they, inv they um, enforce, I believe, the uh, animal, animal laws. Uh, and I remember reading that uh, one of the things is people shoot, shoot wolves from helicopters. Is that true? <laughs> well, we do have a predator <laughs> control program that, uh, yeah, sometimes we have to, in, in order to um, manage species for mankind's use, like um, the moose and the caribou herds, we, yeah, we have to, we have to um, make sure that predators like wolves are under control. And there's different ways to do that. A lot of people, for some reason, think that I'm out there on some helicopter skid and I'm the one shooting these, these wolves. And nope, 
I, I haven't had to do it, but um, yeah, predator control program. But yes, doesn't this show what a small world we're in too? That here you you stepped in and you, you helped good guys up here in Alaska with the article that you wrote and the, the research that you had done on, um, um, gosh, it, it, it was a myriad of issues that you had covered, but basically it was, you know, how to make sure that there is good management of law enforcement. Um Yes, it's very unique up here. Now, when I was city mayor and city manager of this town um, years ago, I had run for city council. Before that, we didn't have a a police force in our town, and um, we relied on the Alaska State Troopers. But, of course, they were they were so busy. They were taxed it. And we recognized that as our town started growing, we needed to step up and um, form our own police department and pay for that police department. Uh, so I helped form that. And um, a police, one of the police chiefs whom I hired very first day on the job, he had to go figure out how to get this big old black bear off the local bike trail in front of our elementary school here. And he's, he's like, Mayor Palin, I had no idea it was going to be like this. I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world. You know, there, there's wow. uniqueness. Um, now, with the Alaska State Troopers, I, I'm glad that, that you point out how unique the situation is up here. You know, they everything is so remote up here, and, and we're huge. You know, if you superimpose the state of Alaska over um, the continental U.S., you would see that the state of Alaska's coastlines touched the east coast and the west coast of the continental U.S. were that big. Two and a half Texases can fit inside of Alaska. So the remoteness, so many communities, villages, you can only get there by um, airplanes. So we have so many pilots up here. Um, you know, it's like everybody's got their own float plane up here and more private pilots per capita in Alaska than anywhere else. And well, most are actually uh, licensed. Uh, some I question whether <laughs> whether they've gone through much training or not. But uh, you get there by a snow machine or a boat or an airplane. And our troopers, um, they're always on the run. I mean, they're always, always on the go from village to village. And, you know, as, as I suggested earlier, tough conditions. You know, it's 60 below and windstorms and, um, you know, they're... They have to go respond to something out in the village. They have to get there somehow, and they do it. And I I would watch firsthand to see what the sacrifices that were made by these individuals um, to get out there and help the good guys. And it, it just um, instilled in me then, and it grows every day, such an appreciation for everything that all of you do. Thank you. Well, you certainly need cold-weather gear to work in a... <laughs> Alaska police. <laughs> yep. Uh, Ron, you lived in various places in Canada and the U.S. Uh, what's your feeling about crime in these cities? Do you have a sense that uh, th- things are getting worse? Well, uh, you uh, you pay attention to the news, as you should, and you see stuff. And I have to tell you, in the last year or so, I it's different now. I mean, back I was there in 77. So back in 77, it was kind of uh, wow, wow, west, a little bit, right? Especially Times Square. But I'm telling you, I'm looking over my shoulder now, unlike then. Back then, I felt like 
I was comfortable walking around. I didn't because I, I really you knew the police officers were in charge. Now you're like looking over your shoulder. I go down the dark street and I'm checking out to see if someone doesn't pop out. So, yes, I have an awareness now that it's different. Yeah. Sarah, I have a question for you. As you know, the country is in a giant mess right now with crime, immigration. We go on and on and on. How do we fix it? Well, first, I want you guys to know uh, that it's a it's a very vocal, loud minority uh, of people that don't support police officers, that don't support the mission, that thin blue line that they want to decimate, that they want to destroy, they want to defund. It's such a, a minute number of people. Unfortunately, they're the loud ones. Right. I want to make sure that law enforcement, that um, collectively, that the, the psyche, the thinking of the group of law enforcement, that they don't get bummed about what's going on and think at all that the sentiment out there in general is anti-police officer, because it's not. Um, we love you guys. Joe Sixpack, normal, hardworking, everyday, independent American, will do whatever it takes to make sure that, um, yeah, that you're funded, that you're supported, uh, that the, the mission is being able to be accomplished by you, because what would we do without you? So when it comes to law enforcement, gosh, I just want to make sure that there is that understanding that that we love and support you. Whatever we can do to help, you know, they just, police officers and, and the organizations involved, just let us know, and, and we'll be out there really promoting you, supporting you. Now, in general, yeah, the trajectory that this country is on it's so rapidly declining. That's unfortunate. We have to make sure that we're electing people, electing leaders who will actually govern as they campaign, because politicians today, and we can't put our hope, our faith in any individual politician, uh, because they're going to disappoint you. But um, to hold their feet to the fire, if a politician is campaigning on being um, pro-law enforcement, pro-law and order, well, they're the ones then who are put in position to do something about it. So it's up to us as the voter. We give that our sacred vote to, um, to an individual. We put them into office. They tell us what they're going to do. Well, too often, we see it over and over and over again, they disappoint us. They, they, they simply don't do what they said they would do. It's our responsibility to hold their feet to the fire, to hold them accountable, uh, to make sure that they're doing the will of the people. Because if the will of the people, Americans in general, if our elected officials aren't doing what it is that we put them in place to do, then there is no hope. So, yeah, there, there, we have a lot of hope, though. There should be optimism in, in all of this because there are some good people out there willing to serve the public. They have that public servant's heart. We got to get them into office and, like I say, then yes. hold them accountable, make sure they're doing what they said they do. Yes, very true. Very true. Ron, uh, about six months ago, you were honored by the RDNY, the Retired Detectives of New York City, about six months ago. And also, Sarah, you were there as well, attending, correct? Yes, that was a blast to you guys. Yeah, it was great to have both of you there. It was really, really a lot of fun. And also, Ron, if you remember, if you recall, uh, 2011, Russo's on the Bay out in Queens, we had a 9-11 10-year anniversary event where we had many widows and children there. 
and also uh, many celebrities as well, you being amongst the celebrities. And I believe that I drove you and Nick Fatio out there in my minivan. And then we came home in the minivan, and we also had Colin Quinn we were dropping off in the city. <laughs> and, and, and we had a great conversation. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was a very good conversation driving back from Russo's on the Bay to Manhattan, if you recall that. Yeah. Well, I would just say this. Uh, as hockey players, we, I can tell you that 99.9% of hockey players love police officers. Police officers love hockey. And we appreciate that. And we're almost on the same team, right? Because both of our jobs can be difficult. We're on the same team. We get along. And we have, got, we have a great appreciation. Because I remember back in my early days as a Ranger seventy in the late 70s and 80s, the police officers around the garden, working at the garden, we just had a good uh, – we just got along so well. And um, so ever yes. since then, then I meet you. And so that's why I'm all in and wanting to help. No, thank you. And you, you, both you folks were at the St. Patrick's Day uh, after party for the NYPD on the pier uh, this past St. Patrick's Day. Yes, and I think that's what we saw, Kevin, how much everyone really appreciates Sarah. I mean, oh, yes. normally I get a lot of attention, but boy, she had that room going pretty good. Yes. People love Sarah, and I think, they, I think they want her back in office, Kevin. I, I would have to say so. I would have to say yeah. so, especially uh, 2,000 people on that pier for sure. Um, yeah. Absolutely, you know. Um, Ed? Well, I think Sarah is a wonderful person, um, and uh, I was very glad to help out her, her sister when the time came, and I'd love to meet the sister in person. I, I met you, Sarah, but I didn't meet your sister. I only spoke to her on the phone several times, so please send them my regards. Hey, I sure will. In fact, yeah. uh she, I, I have two um, two homes on my property here, and she lives in one of the homes. So uh, we see each other every day, and um, she's just a wonderful, wonderful human being. And I will tell her that she'll be pretty flattered. Yeah, I'm going to add to all the police officers that are listening that are single. Molly is single. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Is she uh, as good looking well, as Sarah? Well, actually, Ed's single. <laughs> hey, Ed, Ron. My co-host is single. Hey, Ron. Next time you're in New York, next time you're in New York with, um, with with Sarah, have Molly come along. I'd like to meet her. Oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> we will. So, Sarah, um, I'm sure everybody wants to hear this uh, question as well as the answer. Um, you have any political plans in the near future? Well, in, in the present, I'm helping candidates, um, especially those who are getting ready to run for office. Uh, I'm putting my, gosh, it's, it's going on, it's going on 30 years now of local, state, and then uh, national experience in, in politics. So putting that to good use, hopefully getting the good guys elected um, and working on different issues like um, getting rid of ranked choice voting, which is um, a complicated, convoluted way of putting someone in office is not one man, one vote. It's, it's a socialist, bizarre way of electing people in Alaska, unfortunately adopted this system a year ago. And um, we've gone through one election with ranked choice voting. I was in that election and um, there were 50 people running for Congress and I won. I got the most first place votes, but that wasn't a winner-take-all normal type of election. It was just the first step in a process of elimination. And ultimately, I didn't win the seat under ranked choice voting because 
the winner actually has to get more second and third place votes than first place votes. Doesn't matter if you if you get the majority vote. So anyway, it, it, it's a bizarre system. I'm trying to get rid of that. Other states are flirting with disaster, flirting with the idea of ranked choice voting. I'm warning these other states, don't do it. You'll regret it. Um, but as for me, uh, running for office, I, I would love to serve. I, you know, my life is in God's hands and um, I, I seek his will every day for what it is that I'm to do. I feel in my heart and soul and my gut that I'm to be out there helping and um, in whatever capacity I, gosh, I, I, I would love to serve again. Yes. That would can be I, great. I can I do a follow up question yes. on that, with Sarah? Yes. Sarah, what what would be your desired position? Let's say Donald Trump is back in the White House, he wins. What would be your desired position where you make where you can be as much of an influence and, and make change? What would be that position? Vice President and normal politicians, average politicians, they're not going to be blunt with you like that. They're going to. Um, talk around an issue like that and say, oh, well, whatever, I can do that. No, no, no. I would, I would love to be Donald Trump's vice president. And no one's ever asked me that, that candidly, Ron. So there you go. That's a takeaway for you. Yeah. So I, I'm going to do another follow-up. Because uh, often you see vice presidents not often doing much of anything. I was right? just going to say uh, that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they're just kind of a figurehead, right? So what would be, what do you think you kind of things, what kind of relationship would you have with the president saying, okay, I'll accept this, but I need to do this, this, and this? Well, the cool thing about Donald Trump is he's so unconventional. And he, um, you know, he, he's not going to just follow some tradition, because you're, you're right in suggesting that traditionally a, a vice president hasn't been really tapped into. And, and it, it's, it's like, oh, gosh, do they just choose their vice presidential uh, running mate uh, just because that person checks a lot of boxes? Well, perhaps that was to my benefit when I ran with Senator John McCain. I, I evidently checked a lot of boxes and, and was tapped to run. But um, no, this go around, if, if I were blessed with opportunity to serve, my focus would be on our borders. It would be all about law enforcement. Our borders, without borders, we do not have a country. Look what is happening with that invasion of people. We can't even call this immigration, these millions and millions of people coming over. Immigration is a process of, of justice and law and order and, and rules that are followed in, in order to, um, in perpetuity, have a civilization, a society that actually works. What's going on now is an invasion of millions of people, our own government, incentivizing people to come on over illegally. The very first step an illegal alien takes in, in our country is something that is illegal, and we're thus far letting them get away with that. I, I would do whatever I can in working with um, a, a smart, wise, ethical administration to stop that and to enforce our border, to enforce our rules and allow uh, the, the kind of immigration that our country needs, wants, was built upon, but not this invasion that's going on. Perhaps we should send these illegals to Alaska and see how, far, how fast they go back to South America. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, that's, a, that's a great idea because yeah. they would they turn tail and they'd run back home. They would. It's like, nope. All right. And you, it, you're on your own. You're, you're, you're going to harvest your own food. That's, you know, especially if you're out there in a the village. 
And, um, you know, you're going to put up with a, a lot of um, um, physical darkness, you know, in some parts of Alaska up in Barrel, the sun doesn't rise for 90 days. It's dark up there in more ways than one. Summertime, though, makes up for it. The sun doesn't set for 90 days, and uh, it's absolutely beautiful. In fact, if you're going to visit Alaska, come in June or July are two really right. nice months. That's a good idea. Maybe I'll give it a try. Well, yeah. Ron and Sarah, I want to thank you for being so supportive of law enforcement throughout our great country. And I want to thank you for being our guest today. I mean, we're really honored to have Ron Duguay and Sarah Palin together. Um, thank you so much for being on Cop Talk. Um, with that, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Um, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Cop Talk. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Until next time, be safe out there. God bless. Thank you. <laughs>